If you have your Bible with you today, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, it's a story you have all heard before, the story of the Good Samaritan, but perhaps you never heard it told in this way with this point before. We continue in our service as we start the new year about some of the decisions that we need to make in an unpredictable world. And there is much that we can't control, much that we can't manage, but we can make a decision that in the midst of whatever this year brings, we're going to trust God. So a few weeks ago, we looked at the first decision, that most important decision to say, come what may. I've decided to follow Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we made a commitment together that come what may, we're going to be people who read God's word. But more than that, we're going to be people who's let God's word read us. Last week, we talked about this vital issue of prayer. We said that we want to decide not just to present our requests to God, but to invite God in prayer to present his requests to us. Today, I want to talk about something that we all do. And I want to ask you to make a decision not to make collecting points the point of your life. I want to invite you to make a decision not to make collecting points the point of your life. What do I mean by this? We are all familiar with a scoreboard, right? We're all familiar with a scorecard. Anybody who has watched sports, played sports, engaged in sports knows that this whole industry revolves around the scorecard, and on this card, who's got the most points? I admit, I am a recovering, although not very recovering, competitor in almost everything. If it's a board game at home, if it's a sport, if it's with myself, I want my scorecard to be better than everyone else's. That's the way it works in sports. But something about that sports scorecard has trickled into our lives. And it doesn't always happen on a conscious level, although sometimes it does. But we develop scorecards in our life. We do it in our relationships with those we don't know. In fact, we have a very ugly word to describe this. We call it judgment. If someone walks into the room, we automatically give them a score. 
And sometimes we take it to the next level. And we'll say, how does their score match up with my score? Let me remind you, that's a game that has no winners. If you have a better scorecard than that person that you're judging, then that can breed in you ego and pride. If you judge them and their score is higher than you, that can mess with your sense of self-worth and your discontent. We have scorecards in our relationships with those we don't know. Sometimes we develop scorecards in the relationships we do have. Especially in those relationships that are close to us. Lost count of the number of times that I've done something wrong in uh, my relationship with Tracy even yesterday. And I try to justify sometimes my bad behavior by the amount of bad behavior that she's done. Well, I was wrong yesterday, but you were wrong three years ago. We keep scorecards, right? With those we don't know, with those we do know. Sometimes we keep scorecards with ourselves. Sometimes those scorecards can be very helpful if they allow us to understand where we are and if they can allow us to become better, they can motivate us to become fully who we are. I'm very, very grateful for technology and how that allows me to keep score on my life. How much time am I spending in this area? How many tasks am I performing over here or over here or over here? How many meetings am I taking? Who am I giving myself to? What's my checkbook saying about what I'm valuing in life? I'm I'm grateful for those scorecards. But in Luke chapter 10, in the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a different kind of scorecard. And it's a scorecard that if we're not intentional, we can subtly start to believe about our relationship with God. And that scorecard, very simply, is do I have enough? Have I done enough to please God enough that I'm going to pass the test, that he's going to let me into his heaven, that he will open eternal life for me? That's a scorecard that we have to be very, very careful about. Because what often happens in life is that somewhere deep within us, we think that scorecard matters, and so we're always looking to pick up points before God. 
But here's the deal. As we're often trying to pick up points before God, we're missing the point of our relationship with God. Does that make sense? And so what I want to encourage you and challenge you to do today is to make a decision not to make collecting points the point of your life. You tracking so far? Does that make sense? Is anyone kind of with me on this little scorecard thing? Or am I the only uber competitive person in the room? Let me explain a little bit more what we're talking about through the scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what limit, what level do I have to get to? How many points do I need to make before I can be sure of eternal life? few things about this guy. First of all, we read that he's an expert in the law. That means that he's made it his life pursuit to understand points. Because the system of law is one of the best points systems that humanity has invented, right? Well, I haven't done this, 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 and this, so I'm good. Or, I've broken that one, broken that one, broken that one, I'm in trouble. This guy is an expert in the law. He has spent his life studying points. In fact, he's a scribe. It is his job to interpret points. You thought you got that point there, but actually you didn't. You thought you'd missed it there, but actually you got it. You get a point. You lose a point. You gain two points. You drop back three points. As a lawyer, a scribe, an expert, this guy knew who and how to collect points. So he says to Jesus, and it says he's not just having a conversation with Jesus, he wants to test Jesus, so he's trying to ascertain how many points Jesus has got, right? Just as an aside, Jesus aced the points test. He got an A++. He gets 100%. But he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's possible he was asking this question as a scholar. It's possible that he was asking this to a certain Jesus's points. But I think he's asking this question because he's not sure if he's got enough points. I'm a scribe, I've studied the law, I've added to the points system, 
I'm doing things that gain me points. I'm minimizing things that lose me points. But do I have enough points to get eternal life? Jesus, in his brilliance, responds to this question by answering the question with a question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? That word you is emphasized because Jesus knows the truth. He knows about this points system and the brokenness of it, but he says, how do you read it? And the lawyer answers, love the Lord your God, correct. With all your heart, yes. With all your soul, absolutely. With all your strength and with all your mind. With everything about you, love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. When he said that, there was like this little bell that started to ring. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, you've got the right answer. That's correct. People could have said, wow, that was pretty impressive, Mr. Lawyer. Well done. The reality is that these teachers of the law would have had a little, uh, little bracelet around their wrist. You know, like people wear these little plastic bracelets thing, thing things right now to remind them of something? Well, the Jews did as, as well. It was called the phylactery, and in it, it had little pieces of Scripture to remind them of important parts of Scripture. And this passage from Deuteronomy would have been one of the Scriptures that was on his little wristband. So Jesus says, what do you make it? And he's like, oh, let me, let me have a look. What do these initials stand for? Oh, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, heart. Everything about you, loving God, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the right answer. And he's got the right answer, but he's still not sure. He's still not secure enough to know if he's got enough points because he thinks it's all about points. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. What a blessing that Jesus is giving here. In essence, Jesus is saying right at the beginning, it's not about points. It's not about proving yourself. It's not about winning or losing. Do this. Love me. Love your neighbors. And you'll live. You'll come alive in your soul. You'll experience the fullness of life. It's right there. Jesus saying, living abundantly now and eternally forever is not about gaining and losing points. It's not about hitting this level. But the guy just can't get it and his insecurity comes out. And the telltale word in verse 29 is this. But wanting to justify himself, but wanting to justify himself. 
That means that he didn't agree with what Jesus said and he was still trying to prove something. But wanting to justify himself, he says, and who is my neighbor? He's, he's kind of knuckling down on some of the sublaws of the sublaws of the sublaws, right? Because he doesn't want to miss the opportunity to get a point. Just like him, we often subtly think that life is about gaining points. We think our salvation is about gaining points. We think eternal life is about gaining points. But Jesus says here, it's not. It's about loving God and loving others. Is there a level to which you should love God? Try and love him with everything, but he'll take what you can give. Is there a level to which we can love our neighbors? Sure, it's more than what you're doing right now, but it's not a point system. We think that life is about gaining points, but it's not. Jesus took up this question. Verse 30, and told them a story, a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him pass by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and he had compassion on him. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem was a very dangerous path. That the man was coming from Jerusalem down about 3,000 feet towards Jericho. He'd probably been doing something at the temple. The road was rocky and had all kinds of narrow, sudden turns. And it wasn't unusual for people to hide and to distract and to ambush and to steal. The road was 17 miles long and it ended way below sea level. It was a dangerous place to walk. And honestly, this man who walked it should have known better. He should have known not to walk this road alone because there was great danger. This past Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day. I was reminded of the point that he made the day before he died in his message, Been to the Mountaintop. 
where he talks about this story and he talks about how important it is not just that we have compassion like the good Samaritan, but that we start to fix the Jericho road. In that message, Martin Luther King called for what he called a Jericho Road Improvement Association. It was a dangerous road. A man gets beaten up. If someone doesn't help him, he's due to die. But a priest comes that way. Now, a priest was, again, a very religious man. A priest had been spending his life winning points. And because he was a priest, he'd actually built up a pretty high supply of points. Because he'd done lots of things that were pleasing to God. Not only do we think that life is about points, but when we've got points, we go to all kinds of lengths to protect them, right? That's what the priest is doing right here. Now, ceremonially, if he had touched this man who was near dead, then that would have made him unclean. And if he had touched this unclean man... That was an automatic points deduction. And in fact, it didn't just take some points away. It would have prevented him going back to the temple to gain more points, right? So he sees this man and he doesn't want to lose points and he doesn't want to lose the opportunity to gain more points. So we read that he passes by. He just ignores him. He pretends he hasn't seen it. He lets the man just lie there bleeding to death. But he protects his points. Next up is a Levite. This is someone else who serves in the temple. This is the the number two guy, the worship leader. He probably doesn't have as many points as the priest, but he knows he wants to get some points, and he knows that if he touches this this beaten up guy, he's going to lose points, and it will prevent him from getting more points. So he follows his leader, and he passes by as well. Not only do we think that life and salvation is about points, But like the priest and the Levite, so often and so easily, we do all we can to protect and preserve our points, right? The reality is, we don't have enough points that are really worth protecting. Then along, 33, comes a Samaritan. And the great thing about the Samaritan is that the Samaritan just doesn't care about the whole point system. Because the Samaritan, because he was a Samaritan, 
And because he was hated, and because he was despised, and because people thought he meant nothing, he didn't have any points anyway. So he had figured out a way to live that didn't involve points. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. You know why he had compassion? Because he didn't care about points. He hadn't created this system outside of himself that was all about gaining or losing or protecting his points. You know, when we're involved in that game, it protects our heart and it prevents the expression of our heart getting out. That the points game builds up a wall, right? That protects our heart from expressing itself. Think back to what the what, what the, 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 the lawyer, the legal guy has said earlier. What, what does it mean to, to win? It means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, your mind, your strength. He's saying it's all about the heart. But when we engage in this game of points, we prevent the heart from expressing itself. What's so beautiful about this story, what's so beautiful about the Good Samaritan is that he was able to express his heart, to do what needed to be done because he wasn't playing this stupid, silly, futile game of how many points do I have and how many points do I need. We think life is about gaining points. We spend a lot of time trying to make a point. But this is what the Good Samaritan teaches us. Life is not about points. It's about people. Life is not about points. It's about people. This is what he did. He went over to him. This guy was probably pretty beaten up. There was blood everywhere, but he goes over to him and he band-aid his wounds. You know, he wasn't traveling a little first aid kit with him. That probably mean that he took off his clothes and made bandages out of them. He put olive oil, the little olive oil that he would have carried around with him, on the guy to heal. The little bit of wine that he had in his hip flask could have probably done with a little bit of that right now, but he gave it and used it to clean the wounds of this guy. He put him on his own animal. We don't know whereabouts they were in the road, but it was a long road, right? 13 miles. They probably possibly still had a long way to go. But he was prepared to walk because he wanted to help. Because he wasn't concerned about getting points. He was concerned about helping people. They brought him to an inn and he took care of him. 
They stayed overnight, and the next day he took two denarii. That was probably enough for a couple of months' stay at the hotel. He gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. The Samaritan is saying, the point of my life is to care for people. I'm not out to protect points or make points because it doesn't work that way. God asked me to love him and to love people. The story ends not just by giving a hand out, but a hand up. Those who should have helped didn't. The one who shouldn't have did. In 36, Jesus says, Which of the three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? As questions come, that was as hard as it could be, but it was as easy as it could be. It was easy because the answer was obvious. It was hard because it was difficult to admit. The point collector, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy to him. The one who showed mercy to him. What I love about this phrase is that the point collector is realizing in this moment that a relationship with God is not about how many points that we've got. It's about mercy. It's about God's grace. It's about God saying, all have sinned and fallen short. You could not be good enough if you tried. And therefore, the only way for you to receive eternal life, the only way for you to know me is because of my mercy and because of my grace. And he gets it right. Ding, 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 ding. You got it right. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. This story is about a man who spent his life collecting points. But he never had enough. And so Jesus told him a story about two people like him who had spent their life collecting points. But this system was flawed. It was broken. But the story is also about a guy who didn't have any points and didn't value points. And because of that, he was able to love and to care and to give and have a heart that was open to God and to his neighbor, full of compassion. At the end of the story, 
this point collector is introduced to a concept about grace and mercy. And Jesus says, go and live under grace and mercy. Don't waste your time thinking that your good deeds make points. Don't go beating yourself up time and time again about those things you do that lose points because salvation does not work on a point system. It works on a grace system. This year, I challenge you to declare to follow Jesus. I challenge you to read scriptures, but let scripture challenge you. I challenge you to pray and present your requests to God, but also let God present his requests to you. But I challenge you to, to decide not to make collecting points the point. Because it's not. It's not about collecting points. It's about receiving God's great, merciful grace.